Hey, you Slump Busters, you are listening to episode 85 of the Slump Buster podcast. I'm Juju Talk Sports, and today I had the opportunity to talk to Kenny and Pete of the Touchdown and Tangents podcast. They are part of the Good News Radio podcast network, and definitely two guys that know their football. Uh, certainly, we talk about Matthew Stafford and his recent trade to the LA Rams. We talk about Deshaun Watson, whether or not he's still going to be a Houston Texan. And of course, it's Super Bowl week, so we tell you everything you need to know there. But before we do, folks, we, of course, got to give a shout out to our sponsors, starting first with Manscaped.com. Now, guys, Valentine's Day is coming up, and you want to make sure that you look your best, feel your best, smell your best. So I'm telling you, the Crop Preserver, the Lawnmower 3.0, and all of their great products are a great way to do that. And, of course, if you use promo code SLUMP at Manscaped.com, you're going to save 20% off plus free shipping and handling. Yes, promo code slump, the perfect way to hashtag bust the slump. That lawnmower 3.0, the best razor in the market. And of course, the crop preserver does a fantastic job again of just making you feel your best. And take care of your ladies this Valentine season. Make sure that you invest in manscaped.com. Again, promo code slump, 20% off, plus free shipping and handling, manscaped.com. You know where to get it. Our next sponsor, of course, is Caveman Coffee Co. Now, if you need a boost to start your morning, Caveman is a great brand to do it with. And Caveman knows how to make their coffee from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I tell you, we produce the best. Honestly, folks, it's just a given. It's a New Mexico thing. Uh, cold brew coffee, hibiscus tea. Their products are amazing. And again, promo code SLUMP. Don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and save yourself some money there. And once you save all this money, you want to make some profits this weekend, right? You want to bet against the Vegas system? Well, check out Razorsport.com, R-E-Z-E-R, sport.com. And once you do, you're going to be pretty happy. You're going to be pretty dang happy because Razor is going to tell you what you need to know to beat Vegas. Beat those betting experts. Their team of betting experts, handicappers, do a fantastic job of making sure you know who to bet on this coming weekend. Whether it's the NFL, NBA, or the MLB, they know what they're talking about. Check them out. All right, guys. Well, it's time for the show. Pete. Kenny, touchdowns and tangents, Juju Talk Sports. Let's get it. Let's hashtag bust the slump. Enjoy. Twenty twenty was a year filled with bad news, and that is why it's time to bring you some good news. Bring on two gentlemen from the Good News Radio Network. I got for you, Kenny and Pete, Touchdown Tangents. How's it going, guys? Welcome to the Slump Buster. What's up, Julian? Glad that we could finally connect. I know we've been going back and forth for a little bit, so good to finally be on here. Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously, you know, we got the dankest memes on the internet, so of course, you know, I know you've been liking them slowly. I, I keep track. I keep a note of like, okay, so I haven't had these guys on the show before. We've worked with Mike Cal before. Definitely, like, I made it a point to say I had to get you guys on here, and what better time than right before the Super Bowl to have a football-based podcast on? Kenny's really our meme guy. Ah, Kenny's the meme guy. Okay, Kenny, yeah. what's the key behind a good meme? Is it more about timing or creativity? Three things. It's timeliness, creativity, and I would say the last part really is kind of caption. We've had this conversation on this show before. Who would you say is the most memeable sports athlete of all time? Ooh, shit. I mean, we have to go back to the archives. Cam Newton? Cam Newton. Okay. Uh, We've talked a little, Cam, but I'll wait to tell you mine. I'll, I'll wait till Kenny drops his answer here. 
his mannerisms, the celebrations, his fashion, like all that stuff is memeable. I'm not sure who else. I have like kind of a different approach. I think sometimes it's iconic poses, and then that's where the creativity and the caption comes from. So Reggie Bush is up there, and then Derek Henry. Okay. Derek Henry might be a whole time. Okay, guys. Well, you know, I am going to drop you mine. He's the greatest of all time basketball player. He might as well be the greatest of all time meme player. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I mean, come okay. on, trying Jordan memes. Trying Jordan. Literally, memes. you could superimpose his face on any athlete possible, any moment, any situation, anytime has, someone has a big crushing loss. Like you're telling me you're not going to see a crying Jordan meme for on either Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes after this weekend? Forget about it. It might be a crying Brady face after this weekend. Let's not get into those spoilers too soon here. We got some topics <laughs> to cover here, gentlemen. Yeah, no, I, I just think that Michael Jordan, obviously, how we even have a remix to that meme. I know it's not necessarily in the best situation, obviously, given the events of this past year, but we technically have <laughs> two crying Jordan memes here in the last 10 years. The internet is relentless and uh, keeps giving us uh, content to remind us. It's like the last dance of memes. In fact, let's actually get a last dance documentary on just meme Jordan, on crying Jordan itself. Why didn't we get that episode, guys? <laughs> episode 11. I'm saying drop it in the bonus content. Yeah, I'm down for that. But I think you're missing out on Kobe memes. Uh, Kobe. We, we have mentioned Kobe. I would say Kobe arguably is not better than Jordan on the same level, but that's a whole other topic. Well, there's the old <laughs> memes on NBA memes that used to circulate of past. What, what do you mean past? Come on. Uh, the one where he's looking over that crowd like, so, so, exactly. you say my name? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that those, are, those are good ones. Mamba mentality forever. Never get Mamba. All right. Well, guys, we've had some big NFL news in the past week. Uh, there's a lot of speculation on, on the quarterback market these days. And one of those names finally dropped. And it's crazy that technically we haven't even finished with this season. And we have a trade already in the works. But Matthew Stafford is going to be in Los Angeles this coming year. You guys are based out West, correct? West Coast, the best coast. West Coast, the best coast. Well, He's going to be now in your backyard. He's been in the middle of the country for the longest time. Here's my position on Matthew Stafford. Well, I do think that he is an excellent arm talent. 11 years, three playoff appearances, 0-3. I think that that's telling. I know you can't completely hold everything against him, but I also don't think that you could just give him an absolute free pass for being the Lions quarterback for that entire time. That's my thought on him. Anyone want to jump in? I've been pro Stafford a lot longer than Kenny has just off the fact that he's one of a handful of quarterbacks to ever have put up 5,000 yards. In addition to that, he did it in Detroit, which we all know is one of the most historically worst franchises ever. So I give that man props for that. In terms of his impact with the Rams, I think it's really going to depend on what else they do in the offseason, right? Because when Stafford has really thrived, it's been with big targeted receivers, you know, Marvin Jones, Calvin Johnson. And right now, the closest thing the Rams have to that is Cooper Cup. He's a big body, but he's more, you know, shifty, kind of dirty work sort of player than the absolute, I'm going to moss you, deep threat kind of guy. So it'll be interesting to kind of see what the Rams do there. Now, the other part of it is they are giving up a lot of dead money to get rid of golf. And with the cap going down, they're expected to be anywhere from like 25 to 35 million over the cap. So that means they're going to have to make some cuts. Uh, if you look at the roster, the O-line is probably the easiest place to make those cuts. But their O-line was also kind of been up and down the past few years. So, yeah, basically... 
it just can't all be on Stafford. You got to put things around him. But I'm excited to see him in the limelight and see kind of what he does out here in L.A. as a franchise QB. Okay, Kenny, now... As Pete mentioned with the dead cap situation, the Rams actually do have their stars locked up. Ramsey, locked up. Aaron Donald, locked up. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, both those guys are set coming into the year. Does that mean that the Rams are in a position where they have to win the title next year or their window is just completely closed? This is our best hope for right now. He said R. Now he's a Rams fan again? No, 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 no. He's a Rams fan Just had to get clarification. There's a term that I coined. It's called um, fan hoeing. I had a fan hoe phase after Khalil Mack was traded from the Rams. You know what? Sometimes I just seem like constantly letting me down. It's like you're in a relationship and kind of toxic and you cheat, allegedly. So, yeah, I cheated on the Raiders with the Rams for a season. And that season, they went to the Super Bowl and lost. And then I'm like, you know what? The Rams don't have what it takes to really, like, win my fandom over my loyalty. So, I'm going to just go back to the Raiders. Yeah, fan hard. Yeah. Come to the Rams, though. Stafford, let's be honest, is at the end of his career. At least, like, maybe he has, like, a good two, three years left at a, at a above average level. Just because of the injuries, the spinal injuries, all that. And yeah, he does have the arm talent, the Monty. He, he was humbled in Detroit. And yeah, early on, I wasn't high on Stafford because he was arrogant, he was stubborn. He's like, I'm just going to put on my arm talent. And it's like, dude, you're in Detroit. Like, Jim Robbins can get away with leaning on his arm talent. He can't. Got to be more conservative with the ball. And I think Jim Caldwell saved his career, honestly. Jim Caldwell saved his career. And when you get Kenny Galladay, you know, who's a big target, the Raiders also passed on him, but that's a whole other situation. And then you get Golden Tate. You know, they had, like, three good receivers in Detroit at one time. Any one of them could have won over 1,000. When Matthew Stafford just had to be a distributor of the ball, you could see he could do it, but he could also win you games if you had no business winning. So you, you put his experience, Machi, this stage of his career, everything he's done, and his philanthropic efforts in Los Angeles – He's a perfect fit. If you take it back to when Stafford first came out of Georgia, uh, Goff first came out of Cal, Stafford was automatically like a blue chip. He was much better than Goff ever could be from just starting their careers. And you look all this, all the things that Stafford's done, where arguably he's the greatest quarterback in the Lions history. And if you just looked at those numbers and didn't look at records, you could argue that those are Hall of Fame numbers, even though he doesn't have a ring yet. So if you put him in Los Angeles with that defense and his knowledge and his ability to be a gunslinger but also know when to kind of draw back and not throw the game away, whereas golf was just not willing to take risks, I like their odds, but only for like the next two to three years. Because their only first round pick that they've had like in the past eight years is Aaron Donald. Like that's a problem. Okay. Where where I'm kind of kind of coming from too is you mentioned Stafford coming out of Georgia versus Goff coming out of Cal. The problem with that is you're not getting a 20 year old Matthew Stafford. You're getting the 34 year old version that's been in Detroit for over 10 plus years. After a certain point, I have to wonder if that becomes your identity. If Stat Padford is forever your identity, because again, the 5,000 yard seasons, that's why he has that nickname, because we've seen a lot of seasons like that from him. We've also seen him have below 500 records, the majority of them. And as the quarterback, let's face it, he does have one of the biggest impacts on the team compared to other positions. We're not talking about just a Calvin Johnson wasting away on a bad Lions team. We're talking about a quarterback. 
I've seen quarterbacks go to situations, how even Jimmy Garoppolo on the lower end, and I know his name came up in trade discussions. When it comes to him, he went to a one in 10 team, won five straight games, closed out the regular season a couple of years ago. A quarterback can change around a roster and a mentality. And I wonder what kind of mentality Stafford's going to have coming into the Rams organization. At that point, I'm hoping the more Sean McVay takes over than Stafford, because I feel he has to unlearn some bad habits that he may have learned in Detroit. Uh, this this was my question when the move all kind of happened is, you know, if it does flop, who do you blame? Do you blame Les Need for trading away all the draft picks? Do you blame McVeigh for not being the offensive genius we all think and hope and want him to be? Or is it on Stafford for ultimately being Matt Stafford, the guy who can't get you over the hump or can't win? That's what something that I'll really be kind of looking forward as this next year unravels. But I think the other thing, too, that we maybe forget because he's the man of still, Mr. Invincible, but Aaron Donald's 29 years old. He's going to be 30. You know, even if he has one or two top number one defense player years, we don't know because if you look at the position, that position just falls off a cliff at some point. Just either weight, injuries from being big and banged up all the time, things like that. But also we haven't seen a player like Aaron Donald, so maybe he's the exception, not the rule. He does do a great job of taking care of his body. And I do think that he may have an opportunity to have an extended prime compared to other people at that position. But you're right. How many more years can you play at that level, that level of football at that position? Because it's not quarterback. He's taking hits on every single play. He's going against the best offensive lineman on every single play. I know they'll do some stuff to move him around, but there has to be players that could take the edge off of him. And as their cap continues to go up, as they have less money to move around with, they're not going to be able to surround him with the best. And that is going to be a problem for him moving forward. That's what I'm saying. This year with the Matthew Stafford deal significant to me this year's the Rams Super Bowl window if they don't win it they're not going to have the opportunity to do it again no team has won with a quarterback taking up over 13 percent of the cap since Steve Young was in the league and that's what Matthew Stafford would become and when you look at that Rams defense let's be honest they pretty much built everything on the foundation of Aaron Donald it's easier when you look at like the Chiefs defense or the Niners defense when they got to the Super Bowl. It wasn't based off one guy. It was based off constant pressure. That's why I think Aaron Donald's better off in a 4-3 defense because he needs help. I mean, they've got thrillers, good young players. Like, they have guys who are skiing versatile. And I think they'd be better off switching back to a 4-3 because you put the guys a 3-4, he's a 3-4 defensive end. Like, as a 5 technique, even if you're stunting guys, like, that's a lot on three down linemen and then constantly trying to figure some amalgamation with your linebackers and schemes and blitzes and coverages like no you need another body down there to take the edge off of Aaron Donald. That's not even to mention too that they just made the switch at defensive coordinator with Raheem Morris as well considering Brandon Staley literally just got poached after one year. Yep like I think when I look at Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald they're clearly going to be tied together and if you look at the Bears and the Rams, they really just said, you know what, we're just going to rely on only this dude to make plays for us and not really put much else around him. And I think that's how you ruin a star. That's how you they ruined Barry Sanders. That's how they ruined Calvin Johnson. When you say, okay, we're only going to rely on this person and just put marginal or some more good talent around them and then we'll figure it out everywhere else. Like, okay, Jalen Ramsey's a corner. He can only do so much. And elite corners don't necessarily win the Super Bowl. Or, you know, elite defensive line play wins in the Super Bowl. You know, look what Chris Jones did for the Chiefs. 
But guess what? There's a guy next to Chris Jones, Frank Clark. They have an athletic linebacker core and an athletic safety. The Rams really have to look and say, we can't put all the pressure on this one guy to do everything. Just think about it. The Rams' best bet to win the Super Bowl was when they had Gurley. Now you have Cam Akers, you got lucky, but it's like, it's going to be more about the offense needs to do enough to bail that defense out. Because the defense has been holding firm most of this run with them. And I don't want to fully shit on the Rams because I think they also deserve credit for a lot of the late round talent that they have developed. You know, yeah. whether you're talking about, you know, Joyner, Johnson, you know, Corey Littleton, Greg Gaines, Morgan Fox. Like they found a way to get guys who've been productive. But also, to Kenny's point, a lot of that also with Aaron Donald doing so much on the field that he just makes everybody else that much better. Well, it's a tough division, the NFC West. That's another factor here. The Cardinals are getting better. The Niners were in the Super Bowl just last year. And the Seahawks, as long as they have Russell Wilson, will always have an opportunity. I know it's not the most glamorous thing in the world, but we also have to talk about the Detroit half of this. Jared Goff is going back to them. They agreed to take on some money. It got them a little bit more draft picks. They have a brand new coach in Dan Campbell. He's over there biting off kneecaps. What do you make <laughs> of this team going forward? Do you think the Lions will have... Any opportunity to compete moving forward? They have the draft capital now. They have money. Do they have a quarterback that they can build around? Yeah, I would say yeah for the sense that that offense doesn't need to be some world deal. You just need to get the ball in Kenny Galladay's hand. They bring back Marvin Jones, get the ball in Marvin Jones' hand, and TJ Hawkins, you just hand the ball off to the two great young running backs, Kerryon Johnson and DeAndre Swift. This offense honestly fits Jared Goff better than the Rams offense does. Because, dude, you don't have to throw it deep downfield. You just need to get it to our playmaker. Whereas the Rams, they have to do a lot of scheming. Whereas, to be honest, Robert Woods is a great receiver, great route runner. He's not a burner, but he's going to give you everything he has. Cooper Cup isn't a burner. He'll give you everything he has. But you need to scheme up everything else with the routes, the combinations, the dummy movement, all that. But the Lions, the offensive line is actually pretty good for the first time in a while. And you got a ton of draft capital. So really, you just need to draft great players, put them in positions, coach guys up. Hopefully the Lions don't fudge this. Hopefully they take a book out of what the Cleveland Browns did and actually draft good to great talent and then coach them up. But Dan Campbell, we'll see. We'll see what kind of coach he's going to be. I mean, yeah, he's a former Detroit Lions, he's a blocking tight end. So him and TJ Hawkinson are probably going to be best friends forever. But all those first-round picks, and yeah, Jerry Goff is young, and you know what you're going to get from him. So you know what not to do. And Dan Campbell's probably going to play a conservative anyway because he was with the Saints. And he saw what Drew Brees did. And technically, I guess Drew Brees is now the president unofficially of the New Orleans quarterback club. <laughs> and you look at golf, all that talent that's there, it's like Detroit has talent. The organization should be run back. So I think if they can get something out of Jeffrey Okuda, last year's top pick, and just take the best available talent, they're probably going to take a high price out of uh, Penn State. Jared Davis probably just moved outside because it just hasn't worked. But pick up another lineman. I don't know if they have the stones to go all in and try to get Panay Sewell out of Oregon. They managed to get Panay Sewell out of Oregon. I really like those odds. Because Tyler Decker's returning towards ACL. So it'd be interesting. But the Lions are definitely in great shape. He's a top 15 QB. If I told you a 25-year-old quarterback who just played in the Super Bowl, who has a winning record over his career, if I told you your team was getting that, you would be excited. And I think we'll kind of downplay 
that and I get it because when golf came out, you know, it was kind of like a down year in the draft and people were like, oh, golf and Wentz and now Wentz is going down. So that also kind of like brought golf's value down. Let me ask real quick. Why why did the relationship between Les Snead, Sean McVay and Jared Goff go downhill so quick after that Super Bowl though? You're talking about, like you mentioned, a 25-year-old quarterback coming off a Super Bowl with a winning record. Why is it that they were so quick to throw him under the bus? Was it just a feeling of being trapped? You got to go back to the beginning, which is he came in in the Jeff Fisher era, right? So McVay didn't pick him. McVay just kind of came in and was like, okay, this is what I can do with him. Well, he did it. He got to the Super Bowl. And then it was kind of like, well, okay, now golf is going to take the next step and the Rams are going to be even better. Well, golf never made that next step. And part of it isn't all his fault because the receivers didn't necessarily get better. Yeah, you got some young running backs, but are any of them better than a Pete Todd Gurley? You know, yeah, the defense got a little bit better, but that was just this year. And we saw golf's kind of game kind of change. So really, it just comes down to kind of ego. McVay wanted to make a change. Same reason why he fired his coordinators last year. Not because they were bad. It's his show now. Now he doesn't need those veteran coordinators anymore. Now he doesn't need a game managing quarterback. Now he needs a, a risk taker. But yeah, we'll see. He managed his whole team now. It was before it was like he came in his office genius. Now he's trying to play manager for the entire team. See how that works. Okay. Well, let's just close this segment on this. Who was the winner of the trade? Pete, you go first. I think it's the Lions based off the picks. Kenny? Yeah, I'm going to say Lions based off the picks, and the Bears aren't that good. The Vikings are terrible. The Lions are arguably the second best team in the NFC North. And coming into this draft with all these first round picks, as long as they're not stupid and they don't mess it up, the Packers have to be stupid and somehow budge Aaron Rodgers. The Lions could easily steal the division next year. This is message brought to you by the Foundation for a Perfect Package. Why do I need Manscaped? Why do I need Manscaped? Why do I need Manscaped? Because the only fruit I want is the one up top. Because being in a relationship is not an excuse to be lazy. Because I like talking ball, not smelling like them. Because deforestation is proven to prevent forest fires. Manscaped is the only brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped's Crop Preserver guarantees that you smell your best all day long. Manscaped boxer briefs are the most comfortable underwear on the market. Manscaped's advanced skincare technology makes Nick's a thing of the past. Manscaped is the number one in men's grooming. Subscribers get two free blade refills every three months. Get 20% off plus free shipping handling with the promo code SLUMP at manscaped.com. That's the promo code SLUMP at manscaped.com. Get your lawnmower 3.0 today. We are the Slump Busters. And we approve this message. The Houston Texans have basically come out and said that we don't plan on moving to Sean Watson. That narrative's mm-hmm. out there, but... The question is, how much of it is their choice? Do they have even a say in the matter? Can they somehow convince Deshaun Watson to stay in Houston? And if not, where's he going? Let me go first on this, because Kenny and I have been arguing about this offline and online for a couple weeks now. But if you look at the Texans, they've been to the playoffs seven years out of the past 10 years. As a Raiders fan, 
That's something that I would admire. The reason why he wants out of the Texans is because it feels like they're a racist organization, period. And we know about the quote a couple of years ago, you don't want the inmates running the asylum that the owner made. Know about various other things that happened with Bill O'Brien and their power structure and things like that. So the answer is, I don't think there is a solution for Watson in Houston because it's personal. Andre Johnson and, and Hop chiming in saying, hey, I second what Watson sees in this organization. And they also even called out, you know, we know Hopkins called out Clemson. There's a lot there that's not easily rectified. I mean, they hired a, a minority head coach, but even that's not enough for Watson because it still kind of feels like pandering. Yeah, you hired, you know, someone who isn't white, but you hire a person who is white and also the best candidate, which is, in his opinion, is Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, my main point of contention, how you repeat, is that what's the point of making it to the playoffs every year if you just get knocked out of the first and second round? That doesn't make you a good franchise or successful franchise. It just means you're either too scared to go all the way to win. Okay. So as far as that situation, I mean, you got to understand, they've ruined every star player they've ever had. You can arguably say they kind of ruined Mario Williams. They ruined David, David Carr before he ever really got a chance. They ruined Aaron Foster. And he's had Andre Johnson on his podcast before they talked about it. They ruined Andre Johnson. They ruined Name a great player for the Houston Texans. They ruined them, traded them, and cut them. And if I'm him, the Texans would have leverage if they never paid. But they paid him. His contract is already locked stock and barrel. So really, you just got to give value for that contract and for what you're losing, which is personally why I would think it's just me. I mean, I'm looking at what the Raiders got. Because defensively, this defense is having in the draft. I don't know why. If there's a fourth saying how, you know, they want a defensive player back, and it's like, you're not going to get that, dude. The defense is trash anyway. The defense wasn't the problem for the longest time. It was the offense. So, anything, this is me. I'm like, yo, give me Derek Carr, first-round pick, third-round pick, and Josh Jacobs, and we'll call it a day. Okay, but, so you're buying into the Raiders, Deshaun Watson rumors that came out this week. And – there is some thought process there. Did the Raiders try and leak that out to try and leverage Carr into either a contract extension or to put themselves in a position to actually make that move? Where do you kind of lean on that? Are you leaning that you think that this Watson thing can legitimately happen for John Gruden? Because if there's a quarter, if there's a coach in the league that I think would make that move because he's very fickle on quarterback. He's always looking for the next one. The best one is the next one in John Gruden's mind. I could see him making that move. The problem is the instability of the Raiders' brain trust, and I don't trust them because I don't see a commitment to excellence. I see a commitment to playing obsolescence. Um, <laughs> like, they've passed on players who were on the Hall of Fame trajectory. They passed on DeAndre Hopkins to take DJ Hayden. So I'm already, I'm still mad about that draft. They passed on star player after star player. They passed on Travis Kelsey. They passed on players in the Super Bowl right now. Tyreek Hill. They passed on great talent for ego of the organization. And that's like a toxic thing that nobody talks about the Raiders. Like, they really have, like, this toxic obsession with thinking they know what they're doing, but they don't. I'm sorry, but the Raiders' success didn't come under Mark Davis. It came under his father. Mm -hmm. John Green's success came because he got traded for the perfect team situation, the Buccaneers, who Tony Dungy put together a Hall of Fame defense, and he just walked in and got a Super Bowl. Otherwise, he's been an abject failure as a coach. And that 10-year contract is basically looking stupider. 
So if you're going to have a two-minute contract, you got to justify why you were three and four or why you were at one. Because you can't blame what Jack Del Rio. So Deshaun Watson didn't get the car out of there. Because, okay. I mean, you get him out of Vegas, you send him to Texas. Like Pete said, he could write the wrongs um, that were done by his brother and maybe make something of it. And it's how fitting that the Texans beat the, the Raiders in the only playoff appearance in like the past 27 years. They had a car with the plane because he got his ankle break. I factor that in and I say, you know what, he's probably the best spots for him is either the Niners, the Washington football team, or the Raiders. Because I'm Washington, I'm not giving up anything on defense. I mean, I might see Ryan Kerrigan because he's older. Ryan Kerrigan, first-round pick. I don't know what else you could say. You could definitely see multiple first-round picks because that defense is already able to be good. But Washington, I think they fall short as far as what they could give the Texans. I think the Raiders are perfect. I'll give you my Pro Bowl running back. Again, Najee Harris is an all-time leading rusher in Alabama history, so there's better backs than Josh Jacobs in this draft class. And running backs are a dime a dozen for the system that Gruden runs. I'm the Texans. I have to look hard at San Francisco and Las Vegas. Because San Francisco, they don't need any more first-round picks. Their whole defense is with them for first-round picks. Brandon Ayuk was a first-round pick. Brandon Ayuk and uh, Debo Samuels look great. I would push back there from the Niners' perspective. Uh, The problem for the Niners is they're very cash-strapped at the moment when it comes to their cap space situation. And they have... I believe over 20 guys from last year's roster that will be free agents and most importantly in the defensive backs. So they don't have a lot of assets actually to move to get a Deshaun Watson. And you're also hoping on good health. The Niners were an organization that had 90 million on the IR last year. And it's not (laughs) new to 2020 because the Niners have had a, I don't know how to explain it. (laughs) but they have been in a situation in which the last four years they have had the most injuries. They lead the league in ACLs. And at this off season, I think they lead the league in quarterback Jersey edits on Facebook. Official, right? No, no, they play on grass. They play on grass and Levi's. And I believe the practice field is also grass. Uh, I know there was some contention that they had the MetLife turf last year when they played in New York. I don't know. I I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what Kyle is doing. They fired the whole training staff literally last year. And hey, they made it to the Super Bowl. But it seems like the old injuries came back uh, to bite them. And they were even injured in the Super Bowl year, too. I would say they just get, they managed to get healthy at the right time. Uh, but, but bringing it back to Deshaun Watson. Now, I guess I run a little bit counter to a lot of people or a lot of people in the mainstream media and that saying that I don't think the Texans organization is that bad. Now, there may be some internal stuff that we can dispute over, whether it be the rise of Jack Easterby. And yes, you mentioned some great players there, Aaron Foster, Andre Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, that they quote unquote ruin. Mm-hmm. But I don't look at them the same way I look at a Detroit Lions or a Cleveland Browns, or a Las Vegas Raiders. This is what I'm saying. Because going, (laughs) (laughs) because getting to the playoffs, I think is an accomplishment. And I think it is something that a fan base can be excited about. There's only one team that can win a Super Bowl each and every year. And I said this when the Niners lost in the Super Bowl. And yes, a Super Bowl loss hurts. It's one of the most hurtful things that I have ever experienced as a fan. Because it's so final, just that walking away, knowing that everyone watched you on the biggest stage lose. But the fact is, 
that my Niners made it to the Super Bowl. A Bengals fan can't come up to me and talk trash about my team losing in the Super Bowl when they finished with a 2-14 and 14 record. And I think that when we talk about the hierarchy of the NFL, the hierarchy of bad organizations versus good organizations, I think that an organization that can consistently make it to the playoffs is in a better spot. That's why, actually, and I know this is controversial here, I thought Bill O'Brien was a good coach. What I will say about that is he was a good coach, but a bad GM. I think anytime you give a coach complete control of the roster, it just spells bad news. There's not a lot of organizations that have done well doing it. You could say Bill did well with it in New England, but the problem with the hoodie in New England was eventually his draft picks took over and Brady seemed to be steering the ship. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, when we get into the Super Bowl predictions here. But as far as Bill O'Brien, you look at his track record, what he was able to do also at Penn State, and the fact that even without Deshaun Watson, that team was making the playoffs. I think that that was a credit to him. Now that you fired Bill, now that you have Deshaun Watson pissed, now that you're in this position where you don't know who exactly is, and you got like the 10th coach, 20th coach, 30th coach in line for interviews, I think that's why now we look at the Texans as a bad organization. And maybe over the next 10 years, they can be one of the worst organizations in the league. But as of just a year ago, when Deshaun signed that contract extension, they were a good organization. And to Kenny's point, I think the pushback is something that we're just having in society in general, right? It's no longer just good enough to get results. It's no longer good enough to just appear like everything is fine. Watson, he looks at the NBA and, and sees the player empowerment there, and, and he looks at his situation, and, and he knows the past behaviors of how these other stars have been grinded down and washed out. And he doesn't want to be 29, game starting to show cracks, you know, now he just has to go wherever he can. Right now he's 25 years old and essentially there's at least 20 teams that could use him. So, hey, you know, if Carson Palmer could do it, you know, why can't I do it? People have called me Mike Jordan. You know, I don't want to waste away here. I don't want to give my best years to this organization because our values, you know, don't align. Well, would you say, though, if we're going to use the Michael Jordan comp, Michael was with the Bulls when they were a bad franchise, and then they ended up winning in his later part of his career as they continued to build versus Deshaun, who would be leaving the organization when times got a little bit tough. People would say that's more LeBron-esque than Michael Jordan. And I'm not a huge Michael Jordan guy compared to the LeBron debate. That's been discussed for years. We've seen Skip and Shannon go at it for decades, and I am so tired of it. But I would at least say when we're using those comps, I would say Deshaun leaving at the first sign of distress in Houston sounds a little bit LeBron-like more than it sounds uh, Michael Jordan-like to me. Jordan didn't like any coaching hires, right? But he couldn't say, I want out. It was just a totally different time versus LeBron. He could do that. I guess my thing is, I, I get the player empowerment thing. I, I think that there are some positive qualities of it. But I do also want to say that I think it's also made the NBA a worse product. The fact that there is no attachment to players, there's a commercial that runs on national television that says, hey, if your favorite player leaves your team, you could trade your jersey back. I don't think that's a good precedent. And that's something that I don't personally want for the NFL, because I think the NFL is in a good position where it's good for the fans. The fans are attached to their team and I think when we have this being more attached to the players than the teams, unfortunately, it kind of dilutes the product. And that's why I think is one of the biggest struggles of the NBA. They're, the focus on making the sport more global than um, focusing on the teams and the fan bases themselves. 
Unobjection, though, for that uh, Jordan reference would be the Bulls didn't trade Scottie Pippen in his prime. They traded, I mean, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is more Jordan than Scottie Pippen, but they traded DeAndre Hopkins in his prime and didn't get a first-round pick back. They traded multiple players and didn't get first-round picks back. They gave up a third-round pick to get David Johnson. And David Johnson, I don't even think he hit 1,000 yards. J.J. Watt has even told Deshaun, like, man, they wasted J.J. Watt's career. Let's talk about that. Even with his injuries, they waste like JJ Watt was Aaron Donald before Aaron Donald, playing essentially three techniques. He's really a massive defensive tackle, but defensive end athleticism. He's playing on a three-four defense. Like they wasted his prime. So if they wasted Captain America's prime and JJ Watt, like Deshaun Watson sees that. Yeah, I guess he's happy to be there as an organization. That's why they gave up to Damian Clowney and didn't get a first-round pickback. Yeah, again, wasted is relevant, though. I mean, J.J. Watt has had opportunity to be in playoff games and compete. They were up 24 points on the Chiefs just last year. They could have been in the Super Bowl themselves. You could have made an argument that in the AFC Championship game, I could see them going over the Titans and being against San Francisco last year. Um, I think the Niners would have crushed them personally myself, but that's because I have a bias. <laughs> yeah, but there's like the other six times that the Texans made the playoffs. It was bad coaching calls by Bill O'Brien. Gary Kubiak fell short. Like, it's not just, oh, he, he wants to leave. He wants to institute some form of power that players have never had before. It's like, no, you're not going to. I see how Calvin Johnson got done. You're not going to hit me with a banana in the tailpipe. I'm 25. You paid me. I don't care what you get in return from me, but just get me out of here. See, now, if he was still under the rookie contract and not paid yet, it would be harder than he would be moved. He's paid. His contract is pretty friendly. And if they want to send him to Miami and get back a two or tongue of line over, you know, or they want to send him to the Niners and maybe get, you know, a Solomon Thomas and a Garoppolo, a first round pick, that's fine. If you want to send him to Oakland and you get a Derek Carr and a Josh Jacobs, you're not starting from zero. And I think the Texans don't want to start from zero, but it's like, well, you're just happy leveraging all of Deshaun Watson's talent instead of actually building something around him. If he was playing at Clemson, he wasn't doing everything on his own. He got a, a lights-out NFL-loaded defense. Well, that's the difference between college and the NFL. College, you can afford to do that. We're in a cap-structured league, and you mentioned it. He has gotten paid, and I mentioned that stat earlier. No quarterback that takes up over 13% of their team's cap has won a Super Bowl since Steve Young in the 90s. Steve Young won in 94. I was born in 94. Tells you a lot of like where we are and the difficulties of trading away such capital because I feel as though Deshaun could end up in the same spot where yes, the team's going to the playoffs consistently and maybe losing the first couple rounds, but is he going to go to a team and have a legitimate chance at winning a championship if they're trading away all their draft capital to get him. I think that it's just moving horizontally rather than moving vertically in his career if he does it. And I, I mean, I agree with you too, but that's why I say it's it's a personal thing because he's even considering the Jets at one point. There's some shit there, bro. Nobody's trying to go to the... Trevor Lawrence ain't trying to go to the Jets. He's trying to get the fuck out of Houston. That's saying a lot. Think about the dynamics of Houston as like a predominantly black city and the ownership of the team. Like the only way, like, and I, I was going to say this tonight on the show, but honestly, I think a surprise move that I think Deshaun Watson will be okay with is if he got traded to the Cowboys. They don't pay Dak. They take on his contract. They give up Ezekiel Elliott. I can see Jerry Jones trading Ezekiel Elliott. 
We have seen some dark horses appear in trades sometimes, and sometimes dark horses seem to have the best opportunity of actually pulling it off because we hear the Jets, we hear the Niners, we hear the Dolphins, but a Cowboys? Out of nowhere, that would be, be the move. Jerry Jones, what do you think he won't trade Sean, Sean Lee? You think he won't trade him in a heartbeat? <laughs> trade Sean Lee. Maybe Nobody one of those wide Sean. receivers. They don't Nobody need was. all three of them. They don't need Gallup, CD no, Lamb, no, no. and Amari Cooper. No, no, no. You keep them. You just all trade Zeke. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, no, we no, saw no, Tony no, Pollard no, do well. Exactly. The Cowboys is the perfect time to get rid of Ezekiel Elliott. His numbers have gotten worse every year he's been in the league. Plenty of excuses. Yes, he led the league in fumbles. Yes, the team was horrible. Andy Dalton's terrible. But shit, I trade Andy Dalton with him. Here, you can have Andy Dalton, first round pick, uh, future second round pick. Yeah, Zeke Dalton, first, future second, and Sean Lee. Okay. And then you give me like a fourth round pick. Easily. I'm telling you, if Dallas does that, Houston just has to say, hey, Dak, you want some money? Okay. I mean, I guess I'm a little bit. So on the return, like if Bill O'Brien was still the GM, I'd say trading for a declining running back just sounds right up his alley. But uh, as it currently stands, I guess we'll have to see what um, Nick Casario wants to do um, with that organization. I, I think you, you have to get more rising stars in that deal than declining stars. And I, Sean Lee, he hasn't been on the fields consistently in what, the last five years. So I, I do think that that's one of the big holdups with that one. But, you know, it's exciting times. I mean, we have a lot to talk about with the NFL. I, I know, you know, hey, it, it's always disappointing. I feel for the Houston Texans fan base, too. They're just in my backyard. I'm out here in Austin, Texas myself. So, like, uh, going to Texans games next year without Deshaun is going to be a little bit of a bummer. Hello guys, this is Juju Talk Sports. You like sports betting, right? Of course you do. Well, let's bust that slump. Let me tell you about Razorsport.com. Razor is a worldwide sports betting network all designed around helping you. Their diverse crew of handicappers produce plays the biggest sharps don't want you to know about. Go to their website right now and sign up for a free trial at Razorsport.com. That's Razor, R-A-Z-E-R, sport.com. Proud partners of the Slump Buster Podcast. Check them out and enjoy the rest of the show. It's fucking Super Bowl week, guys. It's practically a national holiday in the U.S. Why we don't have Monday off, I have no idea. But that's a debate for another day. Is it President? No, that's next week. Sorry, I don't know what fucking day it is. My bad. (laughs) I was like, is it President's Day on Monday? I I don't know. We got National Spend Your Money Day on Your Girlfriend or National Depression (laughs) Day, depending on who you are. Uh, National Solo Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. That's coming up here in a week. Uh, Who's riding solo? Everyone here on this podcast? Solo gang? Nah? Uh, Solo. My birthday on the 19th. that's fine spend some money on yourself this is 2021 guys be better yourself kings come on we got this guys uh love yourself yourself. all right uh well the narrative that train that's going off this week of course is passing of the torch tom brady already six super bowls an established star an established hall of famer practically deserves his whole wing inside canton versus patrick mahomes who in just three years of starting has an MVP, a Super Bowl trophy, and is going for number two. You want to map out your first three years of starting? That's the pace. At this pace, I mean, hell, he's going to pass Brady if that career trajectory holds up. I guess it all starts with this. I've heard this also referred to as the, speaking of that LeBron-Jordan debate, the LeBron-Jordan debate that the NFL can bring that the NBA can't. And I'm excited for it. But let's let's talk about both these teams first and why they're even in the Super Bowl. So who wants to take on the Chiefs? Tell me why they're here in this moment. And then the other one of y'all can take on the Bucks. I got the Chiefs. Okay. Kenny with the Chiefs. Let's hear it. 
So for the sheer fact of Andy Reid's brilliance, the arm talent and intelligence of Patrick Mahomes, the speed and dynamic aftertouch ability of Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, that offense is literally just built to be just like a long-range missile. But they have like intermediate accuracy too, which is scary. The way the receivers catch the ball and the way they're positioned in this offense, they practically could literally just run screens all day and they would kill you. If you were building an offense from scratch and if you were building a Madden offense like I've done plenty of times and crushed Pete with it, you spread the field vertically. And then you make sure you have someone who can control the middle of the field and give those linebackers and safety problems, which is Travis Kelsey. You just need the running backs to do enough to get four yards to carry and be a threat in the passing. And there's no one person who can really double in this offense. It's essentially foolproof to where you can't really scheme against it. You just have to stop them and slow them down enough. Now, on the other hand, that defense is built to pretty much, you know, win a bar fight. They're not going to be the best overall statistical defense ever, but they have playmakers at every level that feed off each other. They have a pass rush that can generate pressure. They have athletic linebackers who can cover in space and do enough to stop the run. They have DBs who are smart, versatile, who not only can take away the ball, but sometimes an incompletion or, you know, a batted pass is more demoralizing than getting stopped short on the goal line. Like when you're trying to outpace an offense that can score 40 a game, whatever they feel like it, and the defense knows that, so they know and they're always in a perfect position to make a play, it's almost nightmarish. It's like if you have to fight Mike Tyson in his prime. Hmm. He just opens up and lets you hit him. You know you're not going to hurt him. He knows you're not going to hurt him. But he's towing you. And then when he decides, okay, I'm going to destroy you now, he does it. It's like a combination, if I have to compare this to anything, the Chiefs' offensive defense, the synergy, how they work together in the special teams, it's like if Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson were combined into one person, that's what this Chiefs team is. That's why they're so hard to beat, because they know what their strengths are, and they know you can't stop it. And they can play the, they can play the short game, too. they can play the long game. They had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire grind out you know, almost 200 yard rushing against the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo earlier in the season. And then they beat that same Buffalo Bills team in the AFC title game. Unless Patrick Mahomes gets hurt. And even if he gets hurt, the offense is so good, they can still hang with you depending on the backup TV is. What are you going to do? You're going to have to outscheme them or just flat out stop them. And you saw what happened in the first matchup. Tyreek Hill had almost 300 receiving yards in the first quarter. That was an amazing day for our fantasy. There's nobody in the AFC who can compete with the Chiefs offensively. And defensively, their defense doesn't get enough respect. And think about it. That defense goes up against that Chiefs offense every day in practice. So they've seen every possible thing you could see from a guy who can throw a ball like probably 80 or 90 yards. So what are you going to do realistically that's going to scare them? Iron sharpens iron, and that's why no team in the AFC for at least the next five years is going to be able to touch the Chiefs, and that's why they're in the Super Bowl. All right, Pete, I want you to roll with this one. Why are the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl? The Buccaneers are in the Super Bowl for a lot of reasons. Uh, number one, Tom Brady. That's the one everyone's talking about. Mr. Ensign Super Bowl, if we make the basketball comparisons, he's LeBron, Kobe, and Jordan. One, longevity of Kobe, greatness of Jordan, and now the player empowerment surrounding himself with greatness of LeBron. Besides that, you have to give credit to the receivers. They got Godwin. They got Evans. They got tight ends. They got versatile backs. They got a dude who can run you over in Fournette, a dude who can catch and run around you in Jones. 
And not enough people are talking about defense. I think they're top 10 in interceptions, top 10 in fumbles and fumble recoveries. I think they're in the top half of the league as far as scoring touchdowns. So ultimately, the reason why they're in the Super Bowl is because they force turnovers, one. Two, Brady manages the ball well, as he always has. And now, guess what? He has receivers who can not only create separation, but also get yards after the catch. That's something that he was trying to get the last couple of years in New England, but never could. And also, you can't forget about their coach, who also has high-level Super Bowl experience quarterback guru basically i think this game is going to come down to turnovers for a long time long long time and i can say as a raiders fan the chiefs achilles heels has been their corners and now they have a matchup versus the buccaneers that's kind of a nightmare in terms of the speed and size they have at the receiver position and also man tampa bay's offensive line is a lot better than people think too Combination of the running game, the big receivers, I think that's a lot for the Chiefs defense to handle on one side. And on the other side, I don't expect anybody to stop the Chiefs defense, but I do think the Buccaneers defense is good enough to create one or two turnovers that will swing the game. And also, man, shout out to my boy Ndamukong Sue. This is a long time coming for him. I think he's going to make a big play and finally get that ring that's looted him in L.A. But yeah. Let's play a little bit of role reversal here. Obviously, Kenny, you talked about the Chiefs on this one. I want you in a, just a couple sentences, name an X factor for the Buccaneers. That's a hard problem for Kenny. It's not. I just very expressive by words. Hey, so. hey, you love to articulate. That's the thing. We're a long-form podcast, so I get it. Now, it's a bitch for me in editing, but it's okay, Kenny. I know you just want to work me to death, so... I'll just get to work after this one. I have to post before Super Bowl Sunday, so no pressure here. No pressure. No pressure. So next factor for the Bucks. Okay, I'm gonna say Levante David for the sheer fact Devin White. He's I mean he's a linebacker. He runs a four four. He can hit, but like Levante David, great in coverage. He's on Travis Kelsey. He wins that battle. And she's in trouble. One of the most underrated players in the league. I definitely love me some Levante <laughs> David. Okay, Pete, what's the X factor for the Chiefs this Sunday? I'm going to go with somebody who already mentioned, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Last year when they won Super Bowl, I really thought Williams should have won the MVP. I think he was really the difference maker in that game, and I think it will be the same in this game because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers also have like a top-five rushing defense. If the Chiefs can find a way to run the ball on first and second down and really dominate the line of scrimmage, then the Buccaneers really have no chance because shutting down that run and forcing them in the long third downs and trying to get those turnovers is going to be their ultimate, what they're trying to do. Okay, well, let's start talking the predictions then. On our Instagram story, on our poll, voted on by a ton of people, so great fan interaction there. Appreciate you guys. 52% voted for the Chiefs. Vegas is also going with the Chiefs as they have them as a three-point favorite, but... I am going to say that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Thomas Edward Brady, as Skip would so often say, will (laughs) win this Super Bowl, fully establishing his legacy, doing something unparalleled in the history of sports. And I don't think we'll ever be topped, honestly. This is the NFL. This is in 2021. This isn't Bill Russell winning 11 rings in the 60s. This isn't Jordan in the NBA. There is parody in the NFL. And the fact that Thomas Brady just keeps enduring keeps winning and goes to another team, a team that hadn't even been in the playoffs in over a decade, hadn't had a playoff victory since they won the Super Bowl in the early 2000s and puts them in the spot. 
I am just blown away. And I just feel as though you just don't win money betting against guys that have that type of mentality. There was a report, there was a player crying that they were going to the Super Bowl. And Tom Brady went up to him and basically said, hey, we're not done yet. And somewhere Bob's to Kobe up 2-0 and we ain't done yet. And I, I think that that has just rubbed off on the Bucks in the best way. And I'm going to the Bucks on Sunday. Yeah, man, I think uh, I'm leaning towards the Bucks as well. Ultimately, like you said, it, it, it's so weird to be here in 2021, Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing at home with Tom Brady, and they're the underdog. Like, that's the perfect situation for Tom Brady. That's exactly what he thrives in. Then you add in a defense that's proven, stacked with veterans. So there's going to be some guys out there trying to make a name for themselves. I know JPP might not play. He knows a little bit something about stopping Brady. So I think he can apply those concepts to, to Mahomes because, and you mentioned this, you know, not many teams win with the quarterback making so much money, but it, even if you look at the other great quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, Big Ben, you get that young success. And, it, you know, we want to make sure that it's guaranteed and and forever, but it, it's not always. Like getting to the Super Bowl is hard and, and winning them back-to-back is even harder. I think the Chiefs have met their match, honestly. Might be honestly the greatest quarterback matchup we've ever gotten in a Super Bowl, honestly. Because the only thing that I can even think that's even close is John Alway versus Brett Favre. And as those guys, two careers with Brett Favre mostly, as their careers panned out, it was clear that this isn't even on the same level or even in the same stratosphere as these two guys. Kenny, where are you going on Sunday? I honestly think that the Chiefs are the underdog in this game. And I think they know that. Let's be honest. On paper, the Chiefs have a better offense because of Patrick Mahomes. But the Patriots have much better offensive players. Give me Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I mean, the Buccaneers, sorry. Chris Godwin <laughs> and Mike Evans versus Tyreek Hill and whoever the second receiver is. I mean, obviously, it's Travis Kelsey is tight end. But still, Travis Kelsey grunt. Tyreek Hill and, you know, Mikel Hardeman and Sammy Watkins. And then you have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, arguably two top ten receivers. So, It'll be, it's going to be probably the highest scoring Super Bowl ever. And while I've, I'm never counting out Tom Brady, I think Patrick Mahomes' legacy is is going to be forged on the back of this game. And you're not going to be able to deny him. I look at it like when Aaron Rodgers beat Ben Roethlisberger in the Super Bowl. Like, it was just Aaron Rodgers' time. Like, you say Rodgers should have more, and everybody thought Rodgers and Brady were going to have a Super Bowl at one point. That never happened. This is like that Kobe and Jordan never met in the final. This is Mahomes. This is Brady. I got to go to Mahomes because I think Andy Reid, he's like, he sees Brady. He's like, you ain't got Belichick with you now. And let's be honest, Arians is a great coach, but he's not better than Andy Reid. Andy Reid, now that he has a first, he has that Super Bowl off his back. Like, I think he's reached a whole other plateau. And Eric Bieniemy, who should definitely already be a head coach, I think they're going to coach have the, the, you know, the play call of their life. And you got to remember, Le'Veon Bell is over there. Yeah, they have Antonio Bryant for the bus, but Le'Veon Bell is hungry too. A bunch of running backs like this. I got to go Chiefs. I just think Mahomes is going to solidify his legacy. And I think they'll pull it out somehow. I don't know how. Yeah, if there's any uh, thing that gives me any pause in my Super Bowl pick, the only thing I would say is you mentioned Andy Reid a couple times. He would be kind of like my X factor for the Chiefs there. Compared to Bruce Arians, I think the coaching advantage is very pivotal. 
even when it comes down to the coordinators. Actually, I, I do think a fun coordinator matchup there, though, is Eric Bieniemy versus Todd Bowles. Both are very good at what they do. And you speak about two coaches that Todd Bowles had his opportunity to be a head coach in the league. Obviously, Eric Bieniemy is looking for it. But two of your the stronger minority candidates certainly out there. They're going to be going head to head on Sunday, more specifically, too. And uh, yeah, no, this is just a Super Bowl that there's tons of stories to go on. First of all, I just want to say before we kind of like start closing out this episode, the fact that we're at this point. That we're watching a Super Bowl after all the bullshit, all the drama related to COVID. Is football going to be canceled? We were talking about it like any other show when all this stuff started breaking out. And we're here. We saw all the games. We had all the action. We had some corks. We had some weird things. We got to see an Army-Navy-Saints-Broncos game. We got to see a game moved on Wednesday. This is the first year in league history that we saw football on every single day of the week. And we're here. We're at the Super Bowl. We have two of the greatest quarterbacks of their generations and may go down as two of the greatest of all time going at it. And I got to say, I thank Roger Goodell. I thank the players. I thank the NFL PA. I thank the fans that could go. I thank everyone that made this a possibility. And of course, I thank our listeners for tuning in and enjoying like our coverage over the NFL season. Obviously, football is huge. Football brings us together. And I'm so glad that even though we might not be having Super Bowl parties in the same way we'd like on Sundays, we're all going to be together watching. And that's going to feel good on Sunday. Get off my soapbox for a minute there. (laughs) Had a wax wax poetic. (laughs) It was wonderful. It was wonderful. All right, guys. Well, here's how we like to close the show. So, Obviously, you guys are two first-timers on our podcast. Uh, We like to ask all our guests, favorite all-time sports movie. There's two of you, so obviously, you guys take turns. Tell me, favorite sports movie and why? We can kind of talk about it a little. Um, I'll go Rudy. Uh, My grandpa's name was Rudy. He was a high school football legend, and he just always embodied that same kind of work ethic, regardless of size, regardless of whatever. Be the best at what you do, and I'll work everybody. So Rudy's number one for me by far. Um, and here for old Notre Dame. Trash, bro. Don't even talk. <laughs> every time I get a big game, they lose. Never mind. I'm, I'm not even spending another game. I could do it all day. But it used to be, remember, the Titans. That used to be my favorite. But then when I got in high school and played football, I did just had the whole run of things. Just on Friday night lights. It just hits me on a personal level. Football movies, I would expect nothing less from one of the better young football podcasts on Instagram, on the internet. And I thank you guys. Touchdown and Tangents, Pete, Kenny, what are you guys working on? Where can people listen? Educate the people before we head on out. Um, you can find our podcast, touchdownsandtangents.com. Our memes, mainly Kenny, on at TDs underscore tangents. We also got polls on our stories and all types of stuff throughout the week on our Twitter feed. Same handle, TDs underscore tangents. Uh, Kenny just put out a dope senior bowl recap, if you haven't checked that out, on FBC Raiders. And then I also just put out some stuff, touch points about uh, tough cuts that are coming up in the offseason. So you can check that stuff out there, too. I'm at Pete Certified, and he's at Ozo Grande. Make sure you check us out on Anchor, too. Touchdowns and Tangents Overtime. We were at the Senior Bowl last year in the NFL PA game. We interviewed a ton of athletes, plan on interviewing some more, some NFL players. So, yeah, definitely tap in with us on every streaming platform out there. Find Touchdowns and Tangents and Touchdowns and Tangents Overtime. Reviews on Spotify, iTunes, pretty much anywhere podcasts are being Well, again, thank you guys for coming on. We definitely appreciate your time. Of course, thank you again, listeners, for tuning in. But don't just listen. Hit that subscribe button. Follow us at Slump Buster Podcast on IG because although Touchdown and Tangents has some great memes, we have some greater, greater memes. I'm just saying. 
not that it's competition. Anyway, at Slump Buster Pod on Twitter, of course, save 20% off plus free shipping and handling at manscaped.com. Check out Razor Sport, K-Man Coffee, all our great partners that make this podcast possible. You guys got to stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we'll see you post-Super Bowl.